Nine minutes it is before 8 p.m. It's our wrap of the top business stories and uh, joining me to unpack some of the big uh, developments in uh, the world of money this evening. I'm joined by uh, Azuela Kemguni, who is uh, uh, co-founder at uh, Benguela Global Fund Managers and he joins me now on the line. Kwabe, good evening to you, my brother, and welcome. Good evening, Aya. Good evening to your listeners. Always a pleasure catching up with you as well, Ike, albeit, of course, this time around under very, very difficult and trying conditions. Uh, maybe before we get into some of these stories, I mean, just what do you make of uh, the developments over the last five days or so? And um, I guess the, the, the restoration activities and maybe reconstruction activities that await us in the next while. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, on a lighter note, uh, you often say that the uh, economy and uh, you know, I don't I mean people... this. I don't mean this. <laughs> this one is sabotage. I was like, man, this is sabotage. Ah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I do think that uh, there has been significant uh, damage to uh, our infrastructure, but more importantly, the confidence that uh, uh, local investors have in putting money on the ground that it is safe. And I think you and I grew up in an era where we had to go to town uh, to access uh, uh, better shopping experiences. Mm. And those experiences have been brought now into the townships. And now this is what has been damaged. So how easy is it going to be for a property company to acquire tenants within the township? So uh, I think... The damage on infrastructure is repairable and uh, probably easily. The challenge is that the people who had invested that money might not get access to capital again. Mm. And we, we might be in a, a bigger trouble from that from a job point of view. But I guess, you know, the, the other dynamic here, and, and I want us to maybe touch on this in the in case of uh, Fairvest, which, uh, you know, put out uh, a SENS announcement today on the impact of the civil unrest on their operations, um, and also the Safari Group. Now, I mean, we pick two of them out as well, like it, because I guess they operate many of the malls uh, that were affected by some of the civil unrest. Who is Safari and Fairvest? Just before we get into, I guess, the, the nub of what they had to say. Yeah, uh, Safari is uh, one of the big uh, uh, retail uh, center operators, and uh, they've got uh, operations across the the country. The same thing as uh, Fairvest; they're all uh, relatively well diversified. So they they've all suffered uh, uh, to some extent because they have exposure to uh, the ta- uh, township uh, malls. And again, I, I would like to emphasize that. The developments were not only in the townships, but because of perhaps where the, the challenges, the economic challenges are, the, these malls were more accessible to perhaps the, the vandalism and, and the looting that happened. We also know, Zulaki, I mean, if things had gone the way that uh, different people might have intended, this would have been potentially one company. Uh, would that have been a bigger disaster? These it would have been. Yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> it's actually good observation. I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I, mean, I remember Fairvest. Was it Safari wanting Fairvest or the other way around? It, it, it was Safari wanting Fairvest. Yes, uh, yeah, correct. Yeah. So, yeah, things would have been a lot worse because I'm just thinking, I mean, you know, the big part of that particular uh, uh, acquisition at the time had a lot to do with the markets, specifically that, uh, you know, were served by these malls. Uh, that we looted over the last while and consolidating their presence there. I mean, I saw the Mr. Price guys, um, you know, 
taking power fashions and look at your screen. And that was one of the stores that was looted uh, that we saw on the SABC. So uh, I don't know. I mean, when, when you think about this sector, not just the real estate investment trusts, but even uh, some of the retail tenants, it's going to take a very long time to get uh, these places you know, fully occupied, uh, least of all with COVID-19 and I guess the impact of the slow vaccination program. Yeah, correct. I, uh, I think your, your assessment is spot on. So, so if you look at many of the, the businesses, the small businesses that are operating within these malls, I mean, they are probably funded by people who took retirement funds and basically set up these businesses. And certainly access to small business capital is not, uh, is not uh, something that we can talk about even in South Africa. So, so the challenge is going to be how do they rebuild their businesses. And in that way, the mall owners would lose tenants. And that's going to put a lot of pressure. And I think the earlier the, the deeper point that you're alluding to is also the fact that at one stage, there was reluctance to go into the townships. And then there was this uh, big boom of township market uh, malls. And then suddenly it became an attractive uh, market that uh, Fairvest and, and Safari even considered a tie-up in, in that area. The likes of the pool are exposed to those, mm. to those markets. So, so it's certainly a, a big blow of confidence from an investor point of view. The investors that supported these companies to go into these, into these markets thinking that they're accessing growth. I think uh, we might see a bit of a discount, which had already been there, to be quite honest, even prior to COVID-19, that we might see a bit of a discount in how these companies are priced relative mm. to companies that are more predominantly in, in, in the suburbs. Mm. Let's just our attention, I guess, yeah, and maybe stay in the sort of retail, processed food system space. Tiger Brands. Uh, now, they've suspended their distribution of bread in KZN and also suggesting that deliveries uh, from their bakery operations will be stunted somewhat uh, because uh, they can't, uh, I guess, seem to get their wheat and yeast supplies in on time. And uh, these are the guys who give us quite a wide array of the things we eat. I mean, anything from jungle oats to tastic rice, albini bread. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, once again, I guess, joining many others in suffering from the supply chain shock that has been brought about by the Sunrest. Yeah, I, I actually was saying to, to, to my colleagues earlier to, that this could create a COVID-2 shock sure. to the supply chain because you're basically now uh, having uh, at a primary point of production of raw materials, there is now a shock where guys are unable to produce or some of the plants have been damaged. And you also have a big uh, node that brings uh, a, 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 the supply of uh, raw materials into the the inland that is also being disrupted so you could have that that chain being broken and in particular on 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 tiger burns i mean the bakery business uh, seems to be uh, under pressure and they've closed uh, as you said so, so the the bakery operations in in kz10 mm, mm, mm. i mean the point you're making is is so startling for me uh, Zulake, because we know the implication of COVID-19 on global supply chains. I remember looking at a picture at the start of, uh, you know, the, the global crisis around February 2020 of some of the harbors out in China. And, and um, you know, they showed you a picture of what it looked like two weeks before. And then by way of containers, what it looked like maybe, 
you know, a, a week after and a massive glut in those supply chains uh, at that time. Um, yeah. And to think that the re- newspaper reports were running with similar type of aerial images, but now of particular assets in South Africa, I mean, refineries, uh, distribution, warehouses, and all manner of other things. And, you know, if you add that, it's like, you know, I guess getting the evergreen to block the Suez Canal. Um, and I can tell you now, I mean, I, I already see more unrest in, in a context where, you know, these supply chain shortages are going to make what was a policing issue become effectively a hunger issue. That That is a big, big concern. And again, Aya, you are 100% uh, right. So, so th- this is now going to have a second round effect because the, the few that basically looted and disrupted the supply chains, what is going to happen is we're going to have a second round effect where the broader communities, first there'll be the panic buying and then there won't be enough for, for those that couldn't buy uh, in bulk. And then you're going to get another round of disruptions. And this requires quite a careful approach by the government to try and basically normalize the situation, not only through uh, the, the security cluster, but there, there might be a need to try and maybe bring some food in uh, so that the, the food remains in good supply. Otherwise, you're going to have uh, big challenges. Mm, mm. And I guess that's that, that's what people are sitting and mulling over at NEDLAC, uh, which is, you know, at the firm level, what do you do to restore the capacity that you might have lost on the one hand um, and really clear, you know, all the blockages in those supply chains? But at a household level, which I think for me is probably a much bigger risk factor, uh, you know, you can rebuild a warehouse, you can, but I don't think you can, uh, you know, deal with the hunger situation quickly enough to avert second round uh, uh, instances of unrest. Um, and I guess a lot of ideas on the table. One of those is uh, to reignite the uh, food relief programs that were instituted at the start of the COVID-19 lockdown. What do you make of that? And this idea also of a restoration fund for some of the infrastructure that has been lost? I, uh, I, I would wholeheartedly support that kind of thing. Reasons being, uh, this is not a time to look at who did the wrong thing. Mm. I think that the, the, those should be uh, uh, pursued through the legal means and the, and the police. But I think what we shouldn't do is to focus on their mistakes and basically end up punishing the whole country in that there will be unrest. If people don't have food, there will be a strong and, and, and quite aggressive unrest. Then we're going to see these uh, battles moving to the suburbs and we're going to get like what we saw in Phoenix. I think you might have seen what the, the kind of things that are happening there. So, so I, I think there's definitely a need to rekindle that uh, food program. But also the, for the government to say some of these businesses can't rebuild on their own, we need to put money in. The challenge is also that our government doesn't have uh, uh, enough money to even increase the, the, the remuneration of the public sector mm. workers. Now we, we might have to actually invest even more yeah. to, to, in social grants. So I, mm. I think there is a big challenge here. Yeah. The other thing, uh, uh, Kwabe, I mean, which is, I guess, coming out and uh, I mean, a lot of people are debating this. I think even, you know, uh, some of our uh, colleagues in the media, Carol Payton and Garth Tiernison there at uh, 
uh, at Arena, uh, saying, well, you know, 24 billion rand a month uh, per annum uh, for a basic income grant, which is being mooted here as uh, something that I guess would be phased in on the basis of the social relief of distress grant. And uh, many saying, well, we can't afford it. Uh, it'll mean taking money from elsewhere. But I'm sitting here as well, like uh, looking at the inferno that I see burning in critical parts of secondary industry in KZN. Uh, looking at the long queues for basic supplies and asking myself, can we afford to not have a basic income grant at this point? Uh, I, 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 I don't think we can, we, we can afford not to have a, a, a basic grant. I think we, we are facing serious challenges of further disruptions if we don't, we don't actually uh, participate or implement some form of mm. a... a, a basic food grant because i mean i'm thinking about it if you think about the the, the value of what has been lost that is much more than this 24 billion i mean not only in Agreed. terms of what you can pick <laughs> out but even the foregone revenue the you know the implication is much much more than 24 billion rand now if people are going to be bean counting and saying yeah well you know it's going to expand your deficit well you might not even have an economy to think over uh, and think about okay. a deficit if, if you're not going to Consider, I guess, a policy package and a program that is able to deal with the with the social crisis. Um, and, and that's not to say people were right uh, and they're hungry and that's why, you know, the looting should happen. No, not at all. But I no. think in many ways it's about dealing with the conditions that make that uh, an attractive proposition for people, uh, as risky as it is, you know. That's correct. I, I think we have no option uh, but to basically push ahead and try and stabilize the situation first. Mm. And then a longer term uh, kind of uh, scenario uh, planning is needed. How do we get the job situation, uh, how do we bring it under control? Uh, uh, And I think that is where the government needs to be thinking to say, stabilize for now, but Mm. then move forward uh, with a proper and clearer plan. Does it mean that we're going to be in deeper fiscal uh, uh, deficit I think definitely, uh, but but we have no choice, and it that on its own would have implications for the rent weakening and all those things. Again, that would be the mm. secondary cost of these kind of disruptions yeah. on our economy. You know, Kwame, um, in economics one, they used to always teach us uh, that there's two types of inflation you can have. Um, yeah. You know, the one is what they call demand. Um, pull inflation and I think the others cost push inflation uh, so right. one's on the demand side one is on the supply side we, we have the makings of a typical cost push inflation situation here if Absolutely. I think if I think about broken food supply chains but primarily broken fuel supply chains um, we saw a government coming out with um, a ban on container purchases of fuel I, I guess to prevent hoarding um, and all directions, in my view, are leading towards, uh, yeah, uh, I guess inflation coming back on the horizon, which means interest rates might potentially rise, which is going to have massive implications for the real economy. Correct. Uh, I, I, I think uh, the, the, the cost of inflation is definitely on its way. I mean, it, it could actually be worsened by the fact that the U.S. itself is having a higher uh, inflation, oil price is high. So, if the prospect of rates could be, the prospect of rates increasing in the U.S. remains, the dollar would strengthen, 
and the Randwood weekend, and then you get the higher oil price, and then you have a cost-push inflation from within the local economy, you could argue that uh, your, your case for higher inflation is almost uh, sealed. Mm, 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 mm. Kwabe, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how we are going to navigate this, but uh, it certainly does have, it falls like a domino in many ways. Um, the one variable triggers the next because we could even take it as far as, you know, the uh, 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 what's happening or potentially could be happening in bond markets. And I haven't been following I guess what is happening uh, in sovereign lending markets and, you know, the yield on our debt. Where are we in terms of that? Uh, I mean, you guys are the people who look at that because that then influences the terms on which we borrow to deal with the existing public health issue of COVID, but also deal with some of these reconstruction efforts. Yeah, uh, our bonds did weaken a bit or the bond yields uh, did weaken, which means that the price came down. But, but we did have like a, a slight drop in the yields, uh, for example, today. Uh, we, we saw the R186 R uh, dropping by uh, just uh, five, five basis points. And we also saw the R209 dropping by uh, three basis points. But bottom line is, from a price point of view, we saw uh, some strengthening today when it looked like the government was basically stabilizing the situation. But I, I, think, I think we would probably be vulnerable to higher rates. That, that, that fate hasn't been sealed yet. But based on the case that you've just laid now, I certainly think that um, the bond yields, the odds are skewed, skewed in favor of a higher bond yield in South Africa. In other words, the government would raise capital at a more expensive rate and that would be a uh, material so that like i say i mean they are one eight six is sitting at seven and a half percent yeah i guess that's uh, a lot better than maybe the yields that we saw around uh the time of the hard lockdown um in march or so so uh, certainly in the short term not as big a shock as uh, we might have anticipated but i think that's the other variable that we're gonna have to be watching quite closely as well indeed uh the the, the challenge is that once the foreigners lose confidence in our uh, uh, system and how we respond to this challenge, uh, I think that might actually uh, swing things very, very quickly. Uh, and we did an analysis for a client uh, yesterday where we looked at since the unrest started versus uh, seven days before the unrest. And what we found was that the, the rent was basically the best performing currency uh, up to uh, that point prior to the uh, unrest. Mm. And then it's quickly deteriorated uh, relative to uh, other emerging market currencies within the, the last seven days. So it's just a highlight of what a different seven days could make. Mm. And I'm saying this in the context of the bonds to say, Things could move fairly quickly once evidence comes to the fore that we are able to solve the, our own problems. Yeah. Kwabe, as always, my brother, a pleasure. Stay safe. And uh, yeah, I look forward to our chat next week sometime. Thank you. Zolakem Guni there from Benguela Global Fund Managers helping us with uh, the wrap of the top business stories. We're going to take a brief break. Class Booyah, Zander Stirman is my guest. We're going to talk about policing and uh, yeah, notions of safety and uh, yeah, the whole, I guess, enterprise of policing in a post-colonial society. Stay tuned.